Legal discussion on Tip Today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors uh, joining me in the studio. Morning to you, John. Good morning, Fran. Uh, as an avid cyclist, <laughs> would you would you like to get involved in this? No, all I can <laughs> say is that uh, if people can avoid sacred cows in India and let them wander across motorways, <laughs> I don't see any reason why people can't keep an eye out for cyclists yeah but I think it's live and let live I think there's a certain amount of um, you know courtesy on both sides Mm. I think cyclists should be seen I think you should always have protective uh, gear on you I think you should have flashing light I think you should put your light on so people can see you and I think motorists I think the fact that you're now introducing legislation hopefully will mm. increase the level of awareness. But how can you police it, John? That's the trouble, isn't it? Well, you don't, but it's, I suppose it's like everything else. I mean, why do you introduce legislation to deal with, you know, introducing penalties and crimes, etc., etc.? It's more, I think it's, a, it's an awareness issue. I think, I think if you have a prosecution, hopefully it won't be based off the back of something really serious. Mm. I think if you have a prosecution, that'll help kind of focus people's minds and I think, you know, I mean, it's like everything else. I think the other point that you have to make as well is that the roads are not necessarily very suitable for cyclists, Mm. you know. But I mean, I think, if you think of all joking aside, if you look at the way they drive in India, Vietnam and places like that, I mean, they have a completely different attitude to uh, driving insofar as if you are faced with an obstacle in India, you go around it. Sometimes in Ireland, I think if we're faced with an obstacle, we first of all consider whether that obstacle should or should not be there. And if it shouldn't be there, we're inclined to hoot the horn and give out about it. Whereas the Indians will just go around it. Right. And I think to a certain extent, you know, if people have enough regard for other road users, that as a basic principle will, will go a long way. Yeah, but of course a lot of us go on the road and we're in a bad mood yeah, and we had a row yeah. with somebody and we'll take it out yeah. on the first... Uh, yeah. you or or your, your your attention span <coughs> sometimes can be compromised. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a much more serious issue to see people... I, I think I was on my bike on Sunday and I came past a car that seemed to be weaving and very slowly along the road, sure, what was it except somebody texting? Texting, literally texting, and they're they're on the road texting. Are you serious? I'm serious, and at that stage, you're kind of asking the question, you know. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Listen, you're going to look at a case for us first of all. Yeah, it was an interesting case. Now, all sixty pages of it, I read it this morning. I thought, oh my god, Um, sometimes it's very hard to distill these things down. But the reason that it it attracted my attention was that. it's to do with defamation, but also to to do with the right of privacy within the Constitution. Now, defamation we're all relatively, you know, reasonably familiar with insofar as you're not entitled to say something which would bring somebody into disrepute and, you know, bring mm. them, lord them in the attitude of your <clears throat> your 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 neighbours, etc. And you know, if somebody does that, uh, then you take an action in defamation. And I mean, the the defences that are available to you in defamation, and I mean, defamation has been tidied up a lot in in the context of, you know, there's a lot of things you can do now that can mitigate a defamation. So in other words, you know, if you, by mistake, make a publication 
or you know as in your own business if you say something that maybe shouldn't have said you can retract it you can offer an apology you can offer to make amends so all of those things have kind of come into defamation that have eased it a bit but this wasn't really interesting case maybe not so interesting for the the individuals concerned but this was a case involving uh, a known county footballer from County Kildare I think and he had played football a couple of years previously Uh, but he was also unfortunately caught up in a prosecution some 10 years prior to that as well where he was um, involved or linked to drugs with a, a known local gang and he'd been prosecuted for that he got a suspended sentence for it so if you like, he had a certain notoriety. And <clears throat> the newspaper, the Sunday World, with their inimitable style, actually made two publications, issued two articles in the space of, I think there was about a year or so between the two articles. And <clears throat> the gist of the articles were basically that there were photographs published and there were the articles themselves. And the Sunday World defended, if you like, the articles on the basis, firstly, of public interest, secondly, that he was a public figure, and thirdly, that, you know, that therefore there was justification for publishing mm. the article. And, you know, it raises that whole interesting area of, you know, balancing the right to free expression with the right to privacy and where is the line you know where where when do you cross the line when do you not cross the line now <clears throat> this case for about 40 pages of it was concerned mainly with the defamation yes. because again i can't give you the precise figure but i think the the damages award was something like 300,000 awarded in damages. So the High Court judge took... So he won the case? He won the case, yeah, yeah, he won the case. But it, it, it raised a couple of questions and, you know, when you looked at it, it was also quite interesting because in terms of evidence, in terms of pres- presenting his case, he gave the evidence and then he was cross-examined on his evidence and then he called an individual, a friend of his, who gave evidence. So if you like, in order to establish the case in defamation you have to prove the defamation firstly which is the article plus the publication and you have to argue the task as to whether or not that is defamatory or not and then the second element of it is establishing what is the damage as a result of the publication and like with a lot of these things the second one doesn't happen if the first one doesn't get proven yes so you have to prove the defamation first so in this case what the what the paper was arguing was look it's a matter of public interest oh sorry let's just get the detail of this for a second as to what the detail of the publication was the detail of of the publication was that there were photographs of this gentleman at a swinging is it a swingers party or a swinging party or whatever you call it basically wife swapping party and the the gist of the photographs was there were photographs there Everybody else was kind of pixeled out, if you know what I mean. Mm. So you were you'd blurred images of everybody else, but you had an image of him. So 
here you had the caption kind of uh, the general, like what the court said was the overall impression you got was, and both the High Court and the Court of Appeal agreed, the overall impression you got was here was a very prominent individual. So he's in the public arena and he's attending these parties. But not only is he attending the parties, when you read the article, it created the impression, in fact, it, I think, stated that he wasn't only attending, but he was also organising these parties. So within that, then, you had what we call innuendo. Mm. So, And innuendo, as you're, you're, I presume, very well aware, is what people can kind of take from all the stuff that's presented to Mm. them. There's a kind of an implication there. So in this case, the implication that the court drew was that he was involved in a kind of an underground uh, kind of crime-related sex industry, stroke, whatever. So the the defamation was very, very at a very high level. In fact, the judge said on a scale of 1 to 100, he put it at 75 kind of thing. And he was criticised for that on the appeal, but the Court of Appeal said no. That was a reasonably good way of illustrating the level, Mm. if you like, of defamation. But they tried to defend it. Well, okay, first of all, they called no evidence. They relied entirely on cross-examination. And there was a really... For anybody who's interested, it's Nolan versus the Sunday newspapers, and it's actually published this year, and you can get it on the courts.ie website if you're interested in reading it. 64 pages of interesting mm. reading. But um, <clears throat> basically their first line of attack was they, they cross-examined him, right? And what they were trying to say was um, that we made a mistake. We didn't really mean to say that he was an organiser. That was the first thing. And then they said, there's no real difference between attending a party and organising a party. Okay, that was the argument they were trying to make. But what they were really cleverly doing was they did a cross-examination. You know, I've often talked to you about the art of cross-examination or the act of cross-examination. And, I mean, the act of cross-examination can be quite a spectacle to look at. Mm. You know, if you get somebody who's good at a cross-examination, it is quite a thing to watch. It's as good as any soap you can get. And a really good cross-examiner will lead the witness along very nicely into a corner and then maybe when they're sitting nicely comfortable then they'll hit them with whatever it is they want to try and achieve by way of cross-examination. So it's a kind of an art form mm. and somebody who's good at it is quite is very well worth watching. But um, what they did in the cross-examination was and there was a whole line of it and it was extracted and you can read it in the judgment. They led him along with a whole series of questions about the difference between etc etc so by the time they finished he agreed that with them that there was no and they started by talking about chess matches and they started talking about uh, attending a chess tournament and what's the difference between attending it and and they cleverly got him to agree with them that there was no difference between the two and reckoned that they were home on that and argued that in both the High Court and the Court of Appeal. Right. This was in front of a jury, I guess. Yeah. No, yes. no, it wasn't no. in front of a jury. It was in front of a judge. Oh, right. Normally okay. they are in front of a jury, <coughs> yeah. but it was, in fact, in front of a judge. But anyway, to make a long story short, the interesting thing about the case is if anybody wants to read a cross-examination that's clever 
mm. and that's effective, but in fact is ultimately ignored by the court. That's one to look right. at. But but here's the thing: yeah. if that was a jury, they might have been more taken in with that cross examination than than the judge who spotted exactly what the cross examiner was doing. They might, they might, but ultimately, what the judge said which is a good point, what the judge said was that it's not a matter for cross-examination to determine whether or not something is or is not defamatory. Because if you think about it for a second, I might think that I'm defamed, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's the jury that must decide whether it's defamatory or not, or the judge, if it's the judge. So in this case, the judge would have directed the jury to say, oh, by the way, that was a very cre- mm. clever cross-examination, but that's not. You're the people who decide whether you consider it's defamatory. Now, I mean, the whole case, interestingly enough, as I was reading through it, I was saying to myself... <clears throat> What you know? What would have happened if he just took the case based on the fact that he attended the party, simpliciter, mm. that he attended a private party, and that this was put into the public arena? Because the very first issue that they raised, and it's a defence, you will hear it across the board. You're a public person, mm. so therefore, because you're in the public arena, you're fair game, and you know. <clears throat> the very first question that the Court of Appeal had to address, not had to address, but addressed, was, was he a public person? So, in other words, do they have the excuse that he's a public person and therefore fair game for public comment? Mm. And the Court of Appeal said no. That he wasn't? He wasn't. So, based on what criteria? They said that just because he had played inter-county football, is that the right term? Just because he played, you know, (coughs) for the county... That's inter-county, isn't it? But anyway, just because he pay, played some 10 years ago and that he was a footballer didn't make him a public person, per right. se. Just because he'd been convicted of a crime 10 years previously, that would have made him, put him into the public arena. Those two things in themselves did right. not make him a public but person. But if something is factual and has been proven, I, I thought you could actually say that about somebody, public person or not. Yes, that's the defence of truth. Yes. But, you see, they didn't have that in this particular instance because it wasn't true that he organised it. All right, all right. So, but you're right. Mm. Of course, there are defences, and you're probably more adept at this than I am, but there are defences open to you. Yes. And one of them is that it is true. But in this case, it wasn't true. Mm. Uh, And or, now, can I just say... Whether it's true or whether it's not true is a matter of evidence, Mm. if you know what I mean. And the interesting thing about it was that he said it wasn't true. And I'm not saying, by the way, just in case, I'm not saying that it was Mm. or Mm. was not true. I'm simply saying that as as a matter of law, when you're talking about truth, you're talking about proven fact. And I think you put it very well there where you said a proven fact. Mm. The fact of the matter was, no pun intended, he said it wasn't true. And they introduced no evidence to say that it was true. So they didn't have the defence available to it that right. it was factually correct. Before we move from that case, John, there was an interesting uh, ending to it, I suppose, where... Um, Privacy is concerned. Yeah, exactly. Because when you're talking about, I've often asked the question, as I'm sure everybody out there has, you know, what about a right to privacy? What about where you're a public figure and you attend a private party 
as opposed to a public figure like that attends a public function. Yes. So you go to a disco or a dance or whatever. So you're you and what's his man McGregor? What's it? Mm. Conor McGregor. Yes. You're coming out of a disco. You're coming out of a party. In that situation, you're a public figure in a public arena. What about if you attend a private party and suddenly the paparazzi get a camera in, etc., etc.? Now, this particular case, how this happened, and again, it's like it's just, uh, you know, you may smile when you find out the basis in which the whole thing transpired. I mean, how did the, the paper get the photographs? Well, how they got the photographs was this gentleman attended these parties mm. with a, he, a former a, a paramour who fell out with him and she then sent the photographs to the paper with the imprimatur that mm. she be kept private with. She not, her identity not to be disclosed and of course it was disclosed of course it was, yes. because it became disclosed once the proceedings were issued and she released all of these photographs. So the question that arises there is that up to this, you may remember the Kennedy case, uh, the journalist who was, she was the editor the She's a temporary lady, yeah. yes. Mm. She, where her phone was tapped etc. herself mm. and the other journalist Now that's an illegal act and that's was made law 20 years ago mm. on the basis that the right to privacy was clearly breached where there was an illegality. But the question here was, there's no illegality here. You know, they weren't, the photographs weren't unlawfully obtained. They were, they were obtained in the normal course of social interaction. And if you look at what's happening in modern social media now, this is going to become much more prevalent prevalent mm. than would have been heretofore where you can be snapchatted in, in the matter of minutes and it, it's up and it goes viral etc etc but in this case the court held the high court said there was no right to privacy now the high court didn't say there wasn't a right to privacy what the high court said was that where you have a claim in compensation that's dealt with under defamation, that that in itself is enough that you can't have a separate action. Mm. Now, what the Court of Appeal said was, number one, you can actually look for what we call a declaratory order. So, in other words, the court can still say there's a breach of the constitutional right, even though there may be no damages attached to it. But in this particular case, the court did award damages for breach of privacy because the court said, and the argument that was made by the paper was, well, he consented to the photograph being taken and therefore, you know, what's the gripe here? Surely it could be released to the public at mm. large. And the court said, no, it can't be released to the public at large just because I'm in a private party and somebody takes my photograph doesn't mean that it can be released. Now, you can imagine having established that right to a, you know, a mm. right to a constitutional right to privacy over the right to, to freedom of expression, mm -hmm. you're now looking at a situation that the balance may or may not be tilted in, in, in favour of the right to privacy. And now throw that now into this whole modern, uh, I so might I say, obsession. The, fall, the fallout from that could be huge. Well, yeah, because you see, you're now looking at... Well, you see, I, I remember saying to you at the time, when we were dealing with all the various controversies, you know, on the rape trials, etc., mm. and the publicity and social media and commentary, etc., etc., it really hasn't yet hit home to people how significantly compromised they might be by social media. Mm. So if you look at Twitter and the comments, I mean, you saw it there in the paper that, that Fianna Fáil senator making comments that are on social media, frozen in time mm. and available 
for future commentary, if you like. So you're now into a situation where the extent of balancing the right to freedom of expression versus the right to your privacy is going to... And there was a very a very interesting, if, if I can find it, there was a very interesting comment made by the judge and he, I had to look up the term that he used. He was using a term... Yeah, he said, there is about every person, be, be they a public figure or not, a carapace of privacy. You know, I had to look up carapace. A carapace. Okay. A carapace. I looked right it up. Right to, is it? No, no. It's the shell that you have around a tortoise. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Or a shell, yeah. a protective shell. Yeah, yeah. So what he was effectively saying... And as I say, it's a new word for me, carapace. I may not be pronouncing it correctly. Right. Rick, so he said, there is about every person, be it a public figure or not, a carapace of privacy recognised and protected by law, which protects a private space within which a person's life may be lived without unwanted intrusion by others, including the media, and without fear that elements of that life that are within that private space will, without their consent, be exposed mm. to the public view for some commercial purpose, such as curiosity and gratification of a voyeuristic readership or other audience. I mean, my God. That is huge. That's I mean, massive. If, if that's precedent, the, you yeah. know, you'd wonder... Well, it is precedent, because yeah. it's a court appeal decision. So you Incredible. just wonder, where are we going with that? We don't have time for our questions, John, but we might get to them yeah, next we'll, week. Is that, we'll is, is next that week, okay? Yeah, because yeah. we have a few questions in on, on defamation as well. So. <laughs> 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 All right. Always a pleasure, John. Thanks Thank very you. much indeed. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors.